Comey was spying on Trump. Well, the reason he was writing the memos was to create a record so that he could destroy No them. American knowingly colluded with the Russians to interfere in our election campaigns. Oh wait, unless you mean Hillary Clinton. Pardons, prosecutions, and transparency. You're listening to Tom Fitton's weekly update here on JW TalkNet. Hey everyone, Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton here with our weekly update here on social media. Thanks for joining us. It's always busy here at Judicial Watch in terms of our efforts to combat government corruption and protect the Constitution, which is seemingly these days always under attack. A lot to talk about. Uh, key new documents about Kamala Harris, about Obama. Uh, a big filing we made against the mayor of D.C. over her First Amendment violations of Judicial Watch's rights. Uh, we will talk about that and um, a whole lot more, including, uh, as, as I intimated, the lawless assault on our Constitution. You know, first up, we're facing all of these, um, I call it a communist insurrection uh, across the land in, in many cities, Portland, uh, you have the Black Lives Matter um, assaults uh, on the rule of law in Kenosha in response to a police-involved shooting. And uh, even here in Washington, D.C., you had uh, supporters of President Trump attacked and assaulted. In fact, a United States Senator, Rand Paul, uh, could have been killed if there happened to, ha if there didn't, um, if there weren't, uh, just happened to be a D.C. police officer or two around him as he was leaving the White House last night at, uh, after um, that inauguration event. Yeah, I went to that uh, event in my personal capacity. I wasn't officially representing Judicial Watch. And uh, as we were leaving, they had surrounded the White House, the communist insurrectionists, and they were harassing people as they were leaving the White House. Uh, the police weren't protecting anyone, it seemed, in large measure. Uh, you'll probably seen the videos of, of, with the attacks on Rand Paul, uh, Dan Bongino, who you probably know from Fox News and his uh, the Bongino Report, and he's uh, he's got a great podcast. Uh, he reports he was harassed, he and his wife, for a mile. They followed him for a mile, threatening him. And uh, I don't know what the D.C. police were doing. Uh, I don't know even what the feds were doing. But I do know that there were a 1,000 Americans plus guests of the president of the United States who were fearful for their personal safety as they were exiting the White House. And some were, were assaulted. Rand Paul was assaulted. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. He says his life was saved by the police. He was in fear for his life. So I don't know what the president can do legally. Well, I kind of do know. Uh, certainly in the District of Columbia, he can declare an emergency and federalize the D.C. police. I'll talk about later with Mayor Bowser, with her promotion of uh, 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 Black Lives Matter and defund the police propaganda. Is it any surprise that American citizens were assaulted after leaving the Trump White House last night? And that the D.C. police were not available to provide the necessary protection? Now, there were police in the area. But... <laughs> that weren't providing the protection uh, you would think. You were risking your personal safety exiting the White House. 
And if that's going in our going on in our nation's capital during convention, what is going to happen during an election? What is going to happen during an election? You know, these are dangerous times we're living in. We've never faced the threat of political violence like we have, at least in recent memory. You'd have to go back 50 plus years. And now we're facing it. And the question is, are local and federal officials doing enough? The president's been bringing pressure to bear. Uh, he's facing uh, uh, what I call sedition within his own administration to fully enforce the law. When the Pentagon has made it clear that they will mutiny if he dares to declare the Insurrection Act or to invoke the Insurrection Act. So in the meantime, what happens is, and like in the case of Kenosha, you had killings take place as a result of the civil unrest, to put it charitably. That 17-year-old allegedly shot and killed two people, all of which was preventable. Riots take place because of political decisions by local officials not to enforce the law. And only after those killings took place and there was outrageous violence further did the leftist governor of Wisconsin accept the president's offer of additional National, National Guard and other federal law enforcement personnel. And now Kenosha evidently is relatively quiet. In my view, the president should not wait for the governors to ask. He should declare an invoke the Insurrection Act as soon as anything pops up and move in. That's what the law is there for. We can't have nights and nights of rioting. And I don't know who is telling the president he shouldn't step in. I mean, we all know what the president would do. And we should encourage him to do the right thing here. And to take more aggressive action. I, I, I don't know uh, what's going to happen on election day, given what I saw last night. I just don't know what's going to happen. It was concerning. I mean, thankfully, I wasn't assaulted, but I know people were were very afraid. Imagine trying to exit the White House and not being sure that your personal safety is going to be protected because there are the communist insurrectionists that you know have a history of violence standing right outside in the middle of the street. Completely, complete mayhem, complete mayhem. in our nation's capital. So in the least, the president should assert authority in the nation's capitals to make sure that the government can operate, that people can visit the White House without fear of injury. It was terrible, absolutely terrible. And, uh, you know, Judicial Watch has a series of Freedom of Information Act requests on, on some of this violence, and we're doing what we can. You know, but we're not the cops. We're not the National Guard. We're not the military. So pressure local, pressure state, and pressure federal, pressure federal officials to preserve our Constitution, our Republican form of government across the land. You know, some people say, well, Portland, you know, they vote for those people or they vote for those leftists in Oregon. I see the, the, the uh, mayor, excuse me, the governor of Oregon said, you know, the violence has got to stop. After three months, she says, the violence has got to stop. 
it reminded me of um, the old Don Rickles joke. Don Rickles says, oh, Frank Sinatra, he's a great guy. He saved my life. He goes, I was in a parking lot once and these toughs were beating me up. And Frank Sinatra came along and said, all right, boys, that's enough. That's what the governor of Oregon is like. She's been basically an ally of the violent protesters. It's been awful. And uh, and the good people of Portland, because they are, we presume they're the good people of Portland. Not everyone in Portland is a communist insurrectionist. There are people trying to live their lives. There are citizens who have a right to try to live their lives, have a constitutional right to a Republican form of government. And the president has the authority, and it's exactly for these purposes the president has the authority, to make sure that those citizens are protected. So I, I, I've been pushing and pushing and pushing for, the, for him to invoke the Insurrection Act. I know virtually no one in the administration wants to do it, probably other than the president. So I would encourage him to keep on pushing for that action. And in, in Washington, D.C., he doesn't even need to technically invoke the Insurrection Act to have the feds take over the district police. All he has to do is declare an emergency. And that's what he should do. Because what happened last night is completely unacceptable. And we can't trust this mayor to protect those who she politically disagrees with. That's pretty clear. I mean, she, this was foreseeable. This was foreseeable. Before the event began, the leftists the communists had been gathering. It was evident what was happening. And sure enough, they, they were assaulting, as I said, they were threatening and assaulting a thousand plus Americans, including senior government officials leaving the White House. Unbelievable, unbelievable. This is why our nation's capital is supposed to be run by Congress, is supposed to be run for, by president, and this is why home rule is a constitutional abomination. It's not supposed to be this way because when you have a local politician running the nation's capital, that gives them power over the operations of the federal government. The constitution specifically was to, uh, set up the district to avoid. That's why the district is supposed to be run ultimately by Congress. But of course they've outsourced it to the politicians here in Washington, D.C., and I know there's all this talk about democracy and home rule, the District of Columbia is democratically run under our constitutional system by Congress. And if you're a citizen of the District of Columbia, that's the reality. And if you don't want to be a citizen under those circumstances, there's nothing requiring you to stay here. But the Constitution should rule in the District of Columbia, not this Home Rule Act, which undermines our constitutional system and has now placed the ability of Congress and of the president and other functions of government at risk. So it ought to be removed. So along those lines, we've, um, well, actually not along those lines, but uh, along the lines of the uh, 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 abuse of power by the mayor of the District of Columbia, Judicial Watch filed an important uh, document in its lawsuit over that Black Lives Matter defund the police slogan that was painted on the DC streets just outside the White House. 
the governor, uh, the DC mayor obviously was involved in that, endorsed it. And uh, the problem is when you uh, allow uh, a public forum like the streets to be used in this regard, you just can't tell other people they can't also paint a message. And that's what they're doing effectively to Judicial Watch. We've asked and have been effectively denied permission because they refuse to give us permission to paint our slogan, our motto, our motivation, which is because no one is above the law on the streets of DC. And they've refused to allow us to do it. And not only that, but other folks have tried to ask and tried to, and they've been denied. Uh, I think there was a veterans group that had asked. They, begin, they were given the runaround. There was also um, a pro-life group who evidently thought they did get permission to paint on the street. I think uh, Unborn Lies Matter or something like that. And what they did was the, the police at the scene told them, well, you can't do that. So what they did was they started draw, writing a message on chalk in the street, uh, on the sidewalk, and they were arrested for defacement of public property. They were arrested. And of course, Judicial Watch has its own message and we're getting the runaround as well. So the DC government came in and they filed their brief and I'm not gonna give it too much in time because you know, it's just legal argument and you know, they're just saying what they can to try to get away with this abuse of power. But they're trying to get our civil rights lawsuit dismissed. Again, this is a civil rights issue. When you have a government entity bless certain speech, but deny improperly the free speech rights of others in similar circumstances, that's a First Amendment. That's a civil rights issue. Our civil rights are being violated. That's the heart of the lawsuit. As we say, they acted arbitrar arbitrarily and committed viewpoint discrimination, basic First Amendment violations in failing to grant us permission as we asked. And we were so, I, I would say we were too nice. I say we were too nice, like I had nothing to do with it. But we bent over backwards say, you know, what do we do? What do we do? Let's call this person, let's call that person. And we were just getting the runaround for weeks and weeks before we sued. Believe it or not, if we can avoid it, we will not sue on big issues like this. The, ho the hope is just to get them to do the right thing short of a lawsuit. But that wasn't what the mayor wanted to do evidently. On June 5th, after days of protests and riots in DC, residents, a team of artists, district employees and demonstrators painted Black Lives Matter and the district's crest on the street, the district's crest. It's three bars with, um, I think it's two or three bars with two, um, with stars above it. And uh, it's a, actually two, it's an equal sign essentially with three bars above it. And so what happened next is painted next to it and they initially uh, uh, blotted out the stars to make it really apparent uh, they painted defund the police. So it said, Black Lives Matter equals defund the police. All done with the, set of the effect, the blessing of the mayor. It's pretty clear. And the district government in their brief admits that they didn't have permission to do this. 
and yet they let it stay there. And to any reasonable viewer, it looks like that's what the different uh, that's what the District of Columbia is pushing. And we asked a few days later, and they ignored our request. And I could go back in the back and forth of the administrative back and forth we went, but we did everything we thought we could do to try to get a straight answer, and we couldn't get one. So we get treated very differently from the Black Lives Matter groups that painted uh, Black Lives Matter and defund the police on the street outside the White House. And you know what was really interesting? Uh, during the Democratic National Convention, uh, just uh, the mayor uh, gave the, the nom you know, uh, on behalf of the district uh, Democratic Party, uh, uh, pledged the delegates to uh, Joe Biden in front of the Black Lives Matter sign. But they had just before then, oddly, scraped over defund the police. And I hear just now that it's back. So they obviously, it looks like they didn't want it to be seen on national television during the convention. And it just shows you the kind of the gamesmanship we're facing with, or facing with the District of Columbia government. The First Amendment forbids arbitrary treatment of requests to engage in expressive conduct and viewpoint discrimination. It's a straightforward case. And the district has thrown up all this chaff to pretend that they're not doing what in fact they are doing. And uh, Judicial Watch, I've I, I read the brief. I encourage you to read our full brief. It, it, it really covers quite nicely uh, what uh, the issues are. It's accessible to the layman. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a lawyer. And um, what, what I love about Judicial Watch's work is you don't need to be a lawyer to understand why we're doing what we're doing and even the legal arguments behind it. You know, in the end, Judicial Watch, in the end, we are an educational foundation. So our litigation is obviously designed to get the government to do the right thing, but it's also designed to educate the American people about an issue of either government malfeasance or government operations generally, so that the people know what their government's up to. And so the litigation is educational. So we write our briefs, we write our lawsuits in a way, I mean, sometimes they have to be legally technical in the sense of being difficult to get through. But for the most part, we try to make sure that everyone can understand our argument, which is probably good legal sense too, because courts are human beings too. They wanna be able to understand what you're writing about. So I encourage you to, to find out more about this lawsuit, support it if you'd like. But uh, you know, Mayor Bauer, Bowser gave us the runaround rather than equal access to, again, the message is because no one is above the law. Not that we have to defend the message. We could, what would you want to write on the street? I don't know. Blue Lives Matter, I know many people support that. We had the pro-life group, Unborn Lives Matter. I mean, one of my own personal favorites is Your Life Matters. That, that to me is like the American phrase, Your Life Matters. You're an individual. You are important irrespective of your race, irrespective of all these other divisions the left wants to highlight to separate us. Your life matters. Not because you're a member of a group or a class 
or a religious organization or, or a religious group or race or you know all the var variations gender sex all the variations the left uh wants to focus on to divide americans it's your life matters so those are the sorts of things that should be allowed to be painted on the streets if the government's going to be doing this and they don't want to be held accountable for their misconduct here. And so we've got these First Amendment rights and they shouldn't take a backseat to the mayor's political agenda in promoting Black Lives Matter and defund the police. So we'll be pushing it. I know it's happening in other states and cities. Uh, we're looking at potential litigation in New York where there's similar gamesmanship going on, where some messages are being treated more equally than others. It's the old Orwellian approach. Some are more equal than others. Meaning if you have a, if you have a dissenting voice, or even an alternative voice from the government, they don't want you saying it. It's, it's, it's a troubling time, it's a troubling time. So this is more than about painting a message on the street. This is about the government suppressing speech. And if they can suppress speech in this context, where else will they be able to suppress speech? So important, important information or an important lawsuit. Uh, you know, and it shows you that it's not just complaining, we have to litigate. So when we file a lawsuit, it's just not like, oh, let's file a lawsuit, see what happens. No, we gotta, A, make sure it's compliant with the law. We've got a good faith basis to file it. We've got all this research and investigation and as I was talking about all the work we did prior to filing the lawsuit. And then once it's filed, we gotta defend it and litigate it further. And no one, no one does this type of work like Judicial Watch does, no one. And I encourage you to support it. So we've got some incredible documents that we have just come out. Again, Judicial Watch just doing the basic oversight, doing the heavy lifting that no one else really wants to do in this city. I include Congress, I include the media, and I include the Justice Department and the FBI. In fact, these are documents that the FBI has been stonewalling and slow walking the release of uh, for almost three years now. These are the page-struck communication documents that I've been telling you about. We've been getting batches of them about once a month. What they do is they review 500 pages, withhold a bunch of pages, and give us some. And so what we try to do is release, you know, release the material as soon as we're able to get it out and analyze it. And so this latest batch shows that the FBI was investigating President Trump over his tweets that were critical of Barack Obama and the FBI. They also show that Comey was intimately involved in the FISA warrant application, or reapplication, renewal application, that later was pulled as being illegal, essentially. So what about the tweets? Again, these are page-struck emails. They've been slow walking the release of the information we asked for them three years ago. There's no reason they shouldn't have given them to us three years ago. And they're pretending they don't have the capacity, the FBI, to remove the to review these documents any more quickly than they are. And it's resulting in evidence of criminal activity, in my view, being withheld from the American people by Ray's FBI. At the rate that they're releasing the documents to us, we won't get them all until the end of next year, if then. Inexcusable. I don't know why Barr's allowing this. I don't know why Ray's allowing this. And if I were the president, I'd go over there and say, release all these records tomorrow. 
just release them. But we're in the litigation and this is the process that's happening. Um, and uh, Ray and Barr aren't interested in FOIA, it seems to me. They just don't care about these transparency issues. There's some transparency, uh, but it's uh, transparency designed in many ways uh, to uh, frustrate the quest for truth as opposed to uh, uh, further it in a timely way. So we're getting now documents confirming that, as I said, Strzok was, and the FBI, this is under James Comey, was investigating the president for tweets he was sending. This is what Strzok sends to uh, Bill Priestep, who was his boss, director for counterintelligence, including you know, uh, his, his friend, Lisa Page, sending the tweets in question along with posting times doing some research time stamping in twitter can be glitchy the tweet times below are all minus three hours from east coast time which adjusted i.e the first listed as 3 35 a.m i think recall reporting at the time described the tweets as occurring around 6 30 not 3 30. so not only are they reviewing the president's tweets which were critical of obama and the fbi but trying to figure out when he sent them. What business of it is the FBI to investigate the President of the United States over criticism of the FBI and Barack Obama? And what were the tweets? Terrible, just found out that Obama had my wires tapped in Trump Tower just before the victory. Nothing found, this is McCarthyism. Other tweet, is it legal for a sitting president to be the wiretapping a race for a president prior to an election? Turned down by court earlier, a new low. I bet a good lawyer could make a great case out of the fact that President Obama was tapping my phones in October just prior to election. How low has President Obama gone to tap my phones during the very sacred election process? This is Nixon Watergate, bad or sick guy. So he's critical, and of course, the only way these phones are tapped or that anyone would be spied upon was because the, um, uh, the FBI did it. So this is critical not only of Obama, but of the FBI. And of course, you know, the left likes to pretend wires tapped was wrong technically. It's, he was close enough. They were, they were tapping him. What was the spy warrant about? Carter Page trying to get at Trump. They were spying on, it was even worse than tapping his wires. They were going in there meeting with him and spying on him. Comey was doing it. Strzok was doing it. As I described a few weeks ago, Strzok wanted to use counterintelligence briefings of the FBI, by the FBI of the, with the White House, to spy on White House officials, including the president. I mean, the left still pretends the president wasn't spied upon. They were spying on him. They were tapping his wires, if not literally, but figuratively speaking because the president used it in quotes as well. Where's Durham? Where's Durham? Why on, and, and, and the idea that they would be investigating the president over tweets critical of Obama, this is outrageous. What difference does it make what time he issued the tweets? This is in March of 2017. You know why they were nervous? Because he caught them. And he was talking about things that they were very nervous about being exposed, which was the spy operation. 
And the other set of documents, I mean, we have so many material, and I encourage you to go to our uh, website at judicialwatch.org to review all the material that we uncovered because it's 330 pages. I can't talk about every email we found. But the other important set of emails is the briefing, the fact that FBI Director James Comey was intimately involved in, it looks like this FISA warrant that was later pulled for being illegal. Top official writes, the director would like a briefing tomorrow, Thursday, on the sensitive application. I'm adding emphasis there. I just spoke to Pete and gave him the scope. We'll probably be at 5 p.m. after the unmasking briefing. Um, so it's, you got a twofer here. I didn't know. I didn't notice the initial release about the unmasking. So you got the unmasking, <laughs> unmaskings being tied to Comey. And you've got the illegal FISA warrant being tied to Comey. McCabe replies, any idea what's driving this? Struck replies, Jim R. said the Office of Attorney General told him the AG wanted a brief in advance of signing and would want a little bit of time to think about it. So uh, the second renewal application and the order of the original FISA warrant on Carter Page was filed one week later. Excuse me, the, the original file application was filed one week later, excuse me. The second renewal application was filed one week, week later after this email. So call me new, call me new. These documents show it. investigating the president because he tweeted critical material about Barack Obama spying on him. That's what the FBI was spending its time on in March of 2017. Astonishing. So uh, we've got more material on there. I encourage you to go to our website at judicialwatch.org. You'll see uh, what's going on there. And I don't think I've talked about this before, so forgive me if I repeat myself, but we received new documents well, well, let me go back. I want to go back. Where's Durham? He had that big um, plea deal with Mr. Kleinsmith, the FBI lawyer, the Viva the La Resistance FBI lawyer, who altered an email to turn, Comey, to turn Page from a source to not a source to get a FISA warrant application approved. So he goes in, pleads guilty to making a false statement. But what he says during the plea, he says, well, I, th I thought it was right. That's how he interpreted it. He, th he wasn't doing anything wrong. He admits he changed it, but he doesn't think he did anything wrong. What kind of a plea agreement is that? Why would the Justice Department and Durham allow him? And why would Judge Boasberg allow him to do that? So a plea agreement that's not really a plea to anything illegal, is that what took place under the Durham investigation after this man was handed to him? Durham on a silver platter by the IG, probably in the fall of last year at this point. This is the first big indictment or plea. I don't see, again, evidence that they're doing anything beyond this in terms of 
prosecuting or even seriously investigating senior officials. Brennan was questioned for eight hours, finally. But he's saying, his lawyer's saying he's not a target. I don't know if that's true. You know, maybe they're doing something. I don't know. But I don't believe it. And frankly, it seems too late to me because if Joe Biden wins any prosecution, I think it's going to be shut down by the Biden Justice Department. Do you think Attorney General Sally Yates or Attorney General Hillary Clinton is going to allow these prosecutions to proceed if they go after someone like McCabe or Brennan or Comey even? Heck, they're not even going to question Obama and Biden, even though they're directly implicated in Obamagate. So I just don't see anything, any prosecution like that being being um, issued. I, we may get a report, but you know, a report doesn't mean anything to the uh, to this gang. It doesn't mean anything to them. They have a media that will spin it or hide the key details of the report. And if there's no prosecution, what difference does a report make? What difference would it make? Frankly, I'm concerned. It's just too late to do prosecutions. I just think it's too late. There's no technical reason they can't do one shortly before the election, but politically, there's all sorts of reasons not to do it. I know there's no rule prohibiting it from happen happening, but there's been this received wisdom. I understand it's usually just the wisdom applied to protect leftists and it goes out the window for others. But you can imagine the, the caterwauling that will take place if there's a significant prosecution of a significant figure, which makes, you know, kind of like everything's kind of building on each other. You know, there's all these reasons why I don't think anything serious is going to take place beyond what we've seen, but we'll see. Maybe I'm wrong. So I'll just leave you. Well, I hope I'm wrong. How's that? But if you think there are secret grand juries going on and all these senior people are being brought before them and, they're facing long jail sentences and serious prosecutions. That would be the biggest surprise to me because I'm not seeing any evidence of that. Just compare and contrast the Mueller investigation and what went on there with the Durham investigation. Now, Mueller was abusive, admittedly, but you kind of see the indicia of what a serious investigation looks like, even though it was for unserious purposes. Here you have a serious investigation or what ought to be a serious investigation for what is what are serious purposes, but you're not seeing any of the same indicia, which would be grand juries and witnesses and plea deals and things like that, suggesting others are going to be prosecuted. So I will reassure you, though, no matter what Durham does, as you can see with our other work, we're going to keep on the heavy lifting. We're just going to keep on with our litigation pushing and pushing and pushing. Biden, for instance, is getting a uh, immunity for any investigation by the media or Justice Department on Burisma, on China, you name it. Judicial Watch isn't, we're pushing for documents, still getting documents. So we don't wait for Durham. We don't wait for the Justice Department. We never waited for the Justice Department. I mean, the reason we have Judicial Watch is because the agencies of government aren't doing their job. And plus, there's an independent obligation, in my view, on the part of citizens to provide vigilant oversight over the government. 
which is what we do. So more is coming. More is coming. Like I said, struck more pages, more struck page documents next week or next month. We should get them immediately, at least all of them, but that's not going to happen. But so they're going to slow roll the release of them. Uh, and it's another reason why Ray has been a disaster in terms of accountability and transparency at the FBI. So getting back to Senator Harris. So we had these interesting documents come out. We just kind of do this basic work about politicians, especially ones that are newly prominent, like Senator Harris is. Uh, she was a San Francisco um, prosecutor for many years. She was, I think, I don't want to go through her resume, but the point is she was working as uh, in the district attorney's office in, New, in, in San Francisco. And we asked for records and about her, her personnel records generally, which uh, some of which are subject to uh, the transparency law in California. And uh, some, there are records that are boring in the show that, you know, her payroll records, you know, you, you've probably seen your own payroll records, if, if, whether you work in the public or private sector, they're boring. Uh, but there was something interesting in them that I think is curious. Uh, and it's something that she seemed to be getting pay that she wasn't due. Hi, Johnny, reads the email from an official about her. Thank you for your phone call this afternoon regarding the report that PPSD, which is the per Payroll Personnel Security Services Division, is working on with regards to identifying employees who are still receiving incentive and should not have due to changes of job classification. Kamala Harris uh, was getting, uh, and they have a, a uh, an acronym next to the, her name that's, uh, that is short for Municipal Attorneys Association and Equity Premium. So her incentive should, have be, should be removed as her job classification does not allow her to receive the benefit. However, I tried to remove the premium from her file, but the system does not allow me to do anything. Can you look into this? So the payroll records show that from January 2004 to 2000, May, to early May 2005, she apparently was paid for working eight hours of regular pay a day and eight hours of pay classified at this premium level. So she was getting extra money, it looks like, for over a year, 14, 15 months. It's not clear if that money was retrieved or whether she paid it back or whether she had to pay it back. So we're doing additional investigation, but isn't that curious? So I don't wanna say she did anything wrong per se because we don't have all the information, but it raises questions about whether she got pay that wasn't her due from taxpayers. According to an official in the San Francisco Controller's Office, this inequity premium is paid to senior attorneys in the San Francisco government and consists of an additional payment of one to 3% of the attorney's base salary. And that's according to some of the memorandum of understanding. When you look at the deals the various government employees have uh, with, uh, certainly in San Francisco here, how, how uh, they get extra money in addition to their base pay, you'll hit or spend. So we got, it was a lot of research to figure out what was going on here. So uh, as I said, it just raises a few questions about her time as a prosecutor. 
And what I think is kind of sad here is that Judicial Watch is the one figuring this out. I mean, to me, this is like a basic investigative inquiry. This is a person who was a senator. Uh, she was running for president. Now she's on the vice, she will, uh, she's the vice presidential nominee for the Democratic Party. And why is Judicial Watch doing this basic investigative work into her background? Because we, I kind of know the answer to that, but it's, uh, it shows you you can't rely on the media uh, to do anything, really. And uh, thank God for Judicial Watch, huh? So we'll see what else we find on Senator Harris. Of, uh, and if we find anything of interest, we'll share it with you. So, well, that's it for this week. I don't have anything else to talk about. Well, I do have other things to talk about, but I could go on and on and on about it. But I want to thank you for your support. Uh, and before I go, I also want to encourage you to do something specific. I've expressed concerns about the upcoming election. And uh, we've got to get our act together as citizens. I'm concerned about threats of violence at the election, the chaos caused by the tens of millions of ballot and ballot applications that are going to be mailed willy-nilly to dirty election lists. Uh, and then, of course, you're going to have all sorts of fights about recounts and how the ballots are being counted and calculated and things like that. And as I said, the left is planning violence, potentially, and secession threats to get the election outcome they want, which is meaning Donald Trump, if he wins, they're planning to do all sorts of lawless things to try to take the presidency away. So as citizens, you know, we should be willing to participate in the election process in legal ways. Now there are a variety of ways you can do that. You can volunteer for the candidate of your choice. You can, you know, do all sorts of electioneering in that regard. Uh, you can be a camp, a poll watcher for a candidate or campaign of your choice. And the, there are various laws that are, uh, you have to be sure you're following in doing so. Uh, but that's that you check with your party or a candidate of your choice and see how you can help. And this goes for Republicans and Democrats. I mean, I want everyone to participate. And then thirdly, you could become a poll worker. Now, the coronavirus hysteria uh, the left is trying to use to vote to scare people not only from voting in person but scare people poll workers from working giving them an excuse to shut down the campaign further and this is what the left really wants to do which is to shut down the election you break the system by rolling out tens of millions of ballots you scare people from voting in person now they don't want debates these conventions were wonderful to see on both sides. They explained both parties' candidacies and candidates, and we can argue who did a better job, but the point is they're conventions. And what's frustrating to me is they weren't regular conventions, where you had thousands and thousands of people gathering to promote their agenda, their political agenda, which is a civic institution. And we can argue about how important they are and whether they're old fashioned or not and whether how they should still even be happening the fact is they're part of our civic nation's civic life and it's the way we've been governing ourselves for nearly 200 years these this this party system and it's been just thrown out practically speaking as a result of this coronavirus hysteria 
So we may need poll workers, and by we meaning your community. And the way you can become a poll worker is by going online, and there are a variety of ways you can do it. You can go to the EAC. I just looked it up the other day. Let me find it while I'm talking to you here. That's the glory of the internet is that I can do something for you while I'm talking to you and it's worth and it's worth doing it because well I can't do it because whatever search how to become a poll worker and there are a variety of websites that are legitimate one there's one left by I think there's one run by a leftist nonprofit it looks legit by a poll worker I mean you get hired by your local community your local election officials to work the polls So if you're concerned about the way elections are going to be run, then you should work the polls. Offer to become a poll worker. Follow the rules. Do what you're supposed to do. And that way you help make sure that everyone who wants to vote in person can vote in person, which, as I say, is the best way to ensure your vote is counted. But uh, if, if you're doing your job right, ethically and honestly, you will help protect the security of elections simply by being there. We need good people to become poll workers. And I encourage you, if you're a liberal or a conservative or whatever, it doesn't matter, just become a poll worker. I'm just presuming you all want the votes to be counted, right? So there's a way to do that, which is to help your local election officials count the ballots and work the polls. So that's something that's available to you, and it's an awesome, uh, it's a, you know, what a great country we are that you can participate this way. So uh, Judicial Watch encourages you to not only vote, register to vote, but also work the polls as law allows you to. So that's a great uh, constitutional system we have or constitutional ability you have not only to vote, but to participate in the election system um, as not only a watcher, but a worker. So I encourage you to research that and and uh, September 1st is Poll Workers Day. Or, so it's coming up and I'm, we'll be pushing it, I'm sure, uh, but it's something you should look to do uh, if you're able. So with that, I'll see you next week here on the Judicial Watch Weekly Update. Have a wonderful week. Thank you. You have just listened to Tom Fitton's weekly update on JW TalkNet. Remember to subscribe and donate at judicialwatch.org slash donate.